What's up, everybody? Welcome to the anime podcast of some sort. I'm David Majors. Some of you might know me as DJM, but nobody really calls me that anymore. It's just my initials, whatever. My normal co-host, Jack Dalton Alistair, uh, is out on assignment. And Jack, as always, sends his regards. Uh, follow him on the Twitter twatter at Jack D, Tyler D, and at Mechanical Symphonies on the Tumblr. What's up, Jack? See you again soon. Uh, but in the meantime... Uh, I managed to, uh, sucker, uh, I mean, wrangle, uh, I mean, uh, have a guest on the podcast joining us on the old APOS this week. Uh, and, and it's actually a pretty good one, you guys. It's someone, uh, unlike yours truly that actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to anime. Uh, a, a actual writer and contributor to Anime News Network, uh, Forbes and AnimeFeminist.com, the brand spanking new anime feminist website the otaku journalist herself lauren orsini lauren lauren thanks for coming on what's up thanks so much for having me that's very flattering that you think i think i know what i'm talking about when i talk about anime well i i figure you have a domain you have a web domain so that that that's pretty good that's pretty well up there i would say and, yeah and, and Heck, some some of the stories we're going to talk about were actually ones that you wrote. So I'm expecting all sorts of hot takes. The and, takes and, are going to be so hot tonight and a little spooky because we're that, recording on Halloween. That's right. It is extra spooky. Uh, so much so that I've I've tried on my cosplays for Yomacon here in Detroit this weekend. My first cosplaying ever. Oh, that's and exciting. Your it, first. It, first first cosplay ever and i am absolutely ecstatic it actually turned out pretty well with some help from my friends and it's this weekend it's here in downtown detroit and i cannot wait so tell me what's your cosplay of um well i'm doing two actually one is a sonic and shadow thing with my friend josie because she's hosting a panel on terrible sonic fan fiction amazing yeah she's gonna be shadow i'm going to be sonic and we're both going to be drunk and that's going to be great Uh, oh that's awesome but i think i saw your your cosplay in a um in a halloween shop it said Fast blue mouse on a uh, <laughs> plastic bag. Gotta love those um, unlicensed Halloween costumes. Now, we all know about original character do not steal in the Sonic fandom, but I, I think this is just getting a little too out of hand. Uh, but my oh, second costume... Wait, uh, before you th- go on to that, I just wanted to say something that's really fun for everyone at home to play along with. Because the Sonic fandom is pretty out of control. So much yeah, that type, you, you take your name and you write your name, the hedgehog, into Google. Check out Google Images and just, you know, check out what you see. I put in guys, Lauren the hedgehog. I got my pick of OCs. Guys, didn't I tell you guys she was good? Didn't I tell you that? Like I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this to to you on all the other podcasts, whether it was here or A3K or wherever. But if you're not going to listen to me, listen to Lauren. And uh, I need you guys to listen to me for my second cosplay because this is the one that is like the one I'm most excited about, especially because I know at least a few of you out there that are amongst the the anime fandom that fall into that Venn diagram with the wrestling fandom as well will appreciate this as well. Lauren, um, are are you familiar, aside from my own tweets occasionally, are, are you familiar with pro wrestling at all? I'm familiar with what my Twitter friend Pat's Prime says about wrestling. I'm familiar with Ladybeard. <laughs> I'm ah, familiar yeah. with Tiger Mask W. Good but, enough. And yes. I'm also familiar with the fact that like everyone who likes anime also likes wrestling, to the point that Crunchyroll even put out a survey last year that had five questions all about wrestling and anime. And I'm like, what? Are they going to buy like... Uh, are they going to license wrestling shows too? I bet that'd sell. But here, let's hear your costume. 
Uh, I will be cosplaying uh, at Yomicon this coming weekend as one broken Matt Hardy. Uh, for those of you out there that might recognize that name, Matt is the older brother of Matt and Jeff Hardy, the Hardy Boys. Uh, and he has evolved. Uh, he has created his own broken universe, a broken character, as it were. And for all intents and purposes, it's kind of the hottest, most viral thing in wrestling right now. And I'm kind of catching it right at the perfect moment to do the cosplay. So it's just a perfect storm of being viral while still being really unique. And of course, like we both said, the crossover of anime fandom and wrestling fandom, it's its just going to work out so well, and I can't wait. It's bigger than I ever thought, that crossover. I'm Googling Matt Hardy on my phone because I want to see what you're going to look like. Broken Matt Hardy. Stronger, oh, stronger than death. He's wearing a shirt that says that. Man. Not the stronger in death. It's broken Matt Hardy. That's the important part. Oh, he's got this white streak in his hair, a goatee. Oh, he looks fantastic. He looks like he could star in an anime as the villain. Mm -hmm. And and with the the videos and and the clips that went viral, like the final deletion, delete or decay, it's just taken off so well. And I'm capturing it just at the right moment. And there's really nothing like, and and I don't even mean it in a meme kind of way. It's just kind of gotten a hold of the consciousness of the fandom. And it's just perfect timing. It's worked out so well. And I can't wait. This is crazy. He started out as like some regular kind of guy, part of the Hardy Boys. And then suddenly he's this like, crazy hardcore broken guy yes and and it is truly broken brilliance uh for the folks at home uh if if you have not youtubed it already youtube the final deletion and just go from there just go from there he yells delete whenever possible, and but this is the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, Broken Matt Hardy resembles an alcoholic Las Vegas magician who acts with the subtlety of a desperate Cape Town performing arts student. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. This is why this is why there's this crossover in wrestling. I mean, he's developed this extremely over the top personality. I mean, one of the things I love about anime is you get these very exaggerated, bombastic characters. And and we say, well, it's because it's anime. It's not real. They can do this. But, you know, wrestling's the same way. You are reminding me of my ultra super secret wrestling fan fiction that that I wrote on <laughs> the wrestling forums that I went back to, went on back in the day. Uh, what I called Super Happy Fun Time Russell Show, and it was all of the things that you mentioned and so much more. Because uh, if there is someone out there other than myself that could create the perfect meld of the wrestling fandom and the anime fandom. That is my long lost spiritual brother. And Lauren, uh, after we, after we talk about the stories, uh, I will introduce you to Shinsuke Nakamura and he will change your life. That sounds great. Yes. Uh, but let's just jump into the first actual story of the podcast uh coming to us from ann uh, funimation is releasing um, makoto shinkai's your name in theaters and also screening it for oscar qualification uh, variety magazine reported last wednesday that the movie will be released uh december 2nd through the 8th uh in los angeles and for a wider release in the first quarter of 2017 uh the report states that funimation's 2016 theatrical release will be a qualifying run for the academy awards a film has to run in a theater in los angeles county for a week to qualify for the oscars uh, Lauren, have you seen your name? I haven't. Where could I watch it if I wanted to? 
Um, well, it's looking like that it will be in theaters in the first quarter of 2017. Uh, Funimation does do these periodic limited theater releases where, where you can see their big movies, whether it was the Dragon Ball movies or, uh, you know, any, anything that they think is, is big enough. Uh, you might be able to see it on Jack's favorite website. We totally didn't pirate this.com, but I'm not entirely sure. Honestly, I just don't know. Um, but it looks like right now, at least in Japan, this movie is earning a lot of money and it is, it seems to be booming, absolutely booming, like billions and billions of yen in Japan. So, uh, it's looking like that this might be something that uh, every once in a while it seems like there is an anime movie that gets a lot of attention like this, Lauren, uh, whether it's something from Studio Ghibli or wherever. Uh, and I always like when this happens because uh, it, it makes it it makes people remember that anime can be more than just one thing. It's also a good uh, gateway. I mean, anime comes in waves. We talk a lot about the tsunami generation, when um, there's a lot of people who are introduced to anime because of Gundam Wing. And um, now there's a, a group of people who are introduced because of Attack on Titan. That's probably our newest anime wave. Um, yeah, so whenever there's something that's really big and gets a lot of attention... You can expect to see a lot of new faces in our community, and that's awesome. But it looks like I can't watch this legally anywhere. Yet. 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 I mean, uh, I live near like some kind of art theater, so I will watch it. I mean, yeah, if, if, if anyone picks it up, it'll be the weird art theater. Th- that's where Funima- all of Funimation's theatrical releases are. So that that will definitely be the place to go. Uh, speaking as a a kind of indie movie snob and two someone that likes watching anime in theaters, that's definitely the place where it's going to be. Uh, first quarter of 2017. If you live in the Los Angeles area, uh, it will be in December. And uh, I'm honestly the Lucky. thing that I'm most in- I'm most interested about is. This movie, since its release, and as of last Monday, has earned over 16 billion yen. Uh, adjusting for the exchange, that's 158 million American. That's a legit blockbuster hit. That is, wow. That's huge. So, yeah, it says it says in the Anime News Network article that it's projected to approach 200 million. Yeah. And it's that's incredible. just in Asia alone, and that's that's really incredible. Uh, it, it, this seems like a movie that is just that everyone in Japan is seeing and raving about. It, it seems like this is. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say to make the comparison to something like Avatar, but given what. Japan has for movies and, and economics and population. Uh, thinking about how much this is making, uh, this is a legitimate blockbuster success worldwide already, just on the numbers. And when this does get a theatrical release uh, in the West, it's going to be even bigger. So I'm I'm gathering this has to be something really huge, and it has to be really outstanding. Yeah. While you were talking, I was trying to figure out like what a regular blockbuster makes in the U.S. So uh, the first movie I thought of was Inception. So I looked up Inception, and it made a total of eight hundred million. So this is this is a no. You're you're not kidding. This is approaching like huge blockbuster numbers. And that's just in Japan. I- and Korea. I really want to see it now. Well, I mean, right? I wanted to see it before, but now it's like. This could be like a breakthrough moment in anime. It, it really could be. It, not just as an animated film or, or a foreign film. Uh, and I, I do go see all of those uh, when they're nominated, when the nominations are announced. But to a point where it could just be a just as a film, just in the film medium, this is something that could be recognized. And for anime, that is ginormous, for the lack of a better term. 
ginormous, to use a technical scientific term. Right, that's right. Of course. Words, kids, words. Next story, uh, th- this one is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Lauren, uh, I am, I'm a Sega kid. I was a Sega kid growing up. Uh, so much so that I'm, I'm wearing my Sonic hoodie right now. I'm, I'm cosplaying Sonic at Yomacon. So I, I saw this story and I couldn't help but giggle. Because <laughs> Sega is not dead, everybody. For those of you out there that, that might have thought such a thing. Uh, so much so that they have announced on their official website that they have acquired the rights worldwide to distribute video games based on the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympic Games. PC, handheld, online, and for business use, which I guess means the the bathroom games? I don't know. Japan? That's just weird. I don't know. But yes, <laughs> Sega previously published games based on the Olympic Games, including Mario & Sonic uh, for Beijing, Mario & Sonic for Vancouver, and on and on and on. So this looks to definitely be kind of a continuing trend that Sega has been able to do. Uh, hopefully, Sonic will get top billing, but that's just my bias talking. Uh, Lauren, David, have you played? Yes. I was just thinking, maybe you could tell me what the name of this Sega game I'm trying to think of is. When I was about eight years old, I used to play this Sega game with my cousins there were there were different people racing named Turtle and Cheetah and you ran on a pad in front of in front of the controller. I mean instead of the controller oh, you had this pad. I do remember this. Oh, this is old. Goodness. I'm dating myself here, but oh, it was but but I, when I, I, I thought Sega doing doing um games about the Olympics and sports are they going to bring that back? <laughs> I I really remember this. I truly, yep. truly do. Because I remember running on the pad and, and just thinking mm-hmm. it was the coolest thing. And having a, a, a bunch of different peripherals for, for the Sega Genesis back in the day. And I know the game you're talking about. And it's going to drive me crazy. And probably later on in the show when we're talking about something else, it's going to pop into my head. Uh, the only thing that I can think of right now is that it's not Toe Jam and Earl. I can say that much. But Sega's yeah, Genesis. This, that's that that's me right there. That's the the center of my childhood. And I have played some of the Mario and Sonic Olympic games. They're they're okay. kind of fun. That they're a little they're a little Mario Party-ish, except without the the horrible fights and breaking of friendships and relationships. But uh th- this I feel like this is something that either Sega has just gotten a pretty good grasp on, or it's something that nobody else really wants. Because <laughs> One or the other. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the latter, because it wouldn't be too surprising if th- this is kind of the only thing Sega really has these days in the Western world, aside from the Sonic brand. I mean, they're still doing arcade stuff in Japan, but otherwise... Yeah, the 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 blue Sega logo doesn't really mean much of what, much of what it used to. I mean, it says Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, n- not the other way around, which kills my soul. Well, I mean, Mario comes first alphabetically. Yeah, but uh, there was a time where Genesis did what Nintendo don't, and I'll never forget it. I remember watching my cousin play Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, we had the one controller, so she would play and I would watch. You Today she's a profession. Even- mm-hmm. You wouldn't even get to play Tails? No. Oh, uh, no. I guess this was pre-Tails? I mean, am I thinking of the Sega Genesis even? I mean, yeah, I'm 30, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that so is, this was a that is while definitely- ago. Okay. I don't remember there being a Tales to play. I just remember w- watching her play like the Twilight Zone. Was it yeah, the Twilight okay, Zone? Then that's... The City Zone? I don't. Okay, there... it was a long time ago, man. That sounds like Sonic One. So yes, there was no <laughs> Tales. So, yes. 
That was a long time and, ago. And shame on your cousin for not letting you play. Shame. Yeah, My today she's a. Let- I mean, she's made up for it because today she is a professional um, video game marketer. So she always gets to tell me about games before they come out, and that's pretty exciting. Does she know who manages the Sonic Twitter account? You know, maybe. Because that is the best account on Twitter. I know it it is. It really is. They had a really good tweet recently, but I don't remember what it was. All all of them are good. But it was like, it was like seriously burning. Um, Okay, okay, whatever. Um, I should stop talking about things I don't know much about. Things I don't much, and I'll stick to anime. That, and you can try to remember me. what the heck what the heck sports game I used to play. I will do everything in my power to remember that. I'm I'm typing away fe- feverishly at this very second. And while I'm doing that, there was something that broke the internet or at least the anime side of the internet last week, Lauren. It's so much so that it got noted on polygon.com. Uh Ash Ketchum our old buddy Ash from Pallet Town. <laughs> At the mm-hmm. end of the current season of the Pokemon anime, Pokemon X, Y, and Z, uh, Ash's current companion, Serena, was leaving and going down the elevator. And she walked back up. And while the camera panned down, it kind of looked like Serena was kind of leaning in towards Ash and probably gave him a little peck on the cheek, uh, a little kiss. And after they got another shot, you could see Pikachu and the other two companions all red-faced and shocked at what happened. And Serena, going down the elevator, had the the embarrassed, blushing face. And the internet lost its damn mind. And it was amazing. Uh, Lauren, did you see this? I did not. I'm frankly um, horrified that we are showing things like this to our kids. An implied kiss between um, two teenagers? Disgusting. No, <laughs> it, it was definitely implied. And uh, from my understanding, this these particular two, Ash and Serena... Mm-hmm. These two might be, from what I can tell from the Pokemon fandom, the most shipped Pokemon couple in the history of the anime, including Ash and Misty. It seems like, wow. one, this particular season of Pokemon was really, really good, uh, aside from Ash losing in the Pokemon League again. Uh, and with this culmination... This seemed to get a lot of people talking. This was, this was huge. This was really big. Um, one, because Ash is a 10 year old kid. He's not interested in girls. He's interested in Pokemon oh, and becoming is he the world's greatest. Still? He's still 10. He's still oh. 10. Well, then there's a, uh, is he, is he too young to be thinking about girls at 10? Although I see here there's a change.org petition with 28,000 supporters asking to bring Serena to um, Alola with Ash. And it seemed like the the fandom and the armor shippers, as they're called, were mm-hmm. really happy about this. And I guess they really want to see how this goes. But the thing about Pokemon is... With every new game generation, it always restarts. Always. And you've so he's been, been watching. been 10 for 20 years. Yes. We, we talked about this a few episodes back. It's been 20 years. And Ugh. Ash has still not won a Pokemon League. He's still not a Pokemon Master. And he's still, actually, my understanding with the last season, he seemed to be the strongest trainer in the tournament. It looked as though he was the odds-on favorite to win. He was the number one seed. And he lost because Ash always loses in the end because Ash is a loser. So he didn't win, but it looks like he might have actually gotten the girl in the end. So... So maybe he's a winner now. 
Our, this, fan, our, this fan art is incredible, David. I mean, I usually that's kind of a risky click to look at fan art of a show, but this is just so pure and sweet. <laughs> Everyone just wants Ash and Serena to be happy. That's clearly what it is. And I think a lot of it is that people want Ash to kind of grow up a little and mature a little bit. But at the end of the day, the Pokemon company knows where their bread is buttered and know where they're going to get their money. It's going to be with younger demographic and younger ages. Listen, so... how do we know that's true? Because, I mean, there, there's the people like me who are old now and have disposable income and are still playing Pokemon freaking Go and buying every game. I mean, I'm buying Moon. Are you, are you a Sun Man or a Moon Man? I, I'm debating. I'm st- I uh, last Friday at my anime club, someone had Pokemon Sun, so I'm I'm looking at it. They they had the demo, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking. I'm definitely I mean, looking. Definitely Moon for me. The point is, I'm still spending a lot of money on Pokemon, even after all these years. Meanwhile, um, the young kids are like, oh, I don't want to like the same thing that m- my mom likes, and um, they're into Yokai Watch. I was reading a um, an article on Rocket tw- on Rocket News where they translate a lot of um, articles from Japanese into English, where they were talking about how Pikachu and Jibanyan, which is like the Pikachu of Yokai Watch, they were both at the mall, and like Pikachu, you could just walk up to and shake his hand. Uh, Jibanyan, there was a velvet rope, and you had to wait in line to take a picture with Jibanyan. So it sounds like Jibanyan is winning the kid wars there. Mm. So maybe Ash could be like, I don't know. I would love to hear the adventures of Ash as like an early 20-something, still kind of a loser, trying to figure things out. That would be amazing. That's what everyone wants, or at least like people your age, my age. I'm 32. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what they're saying. But it seems like the Pokemon company is very much set in the we're going to reboot every season with Ash every generation. And oh my god, Lauren, there was an all different kind of spitstorm over the next season of Pokemon. Uh, if you have not seen what Ash will look like, uh, we talked about it on the last episode, uh, Ash looks, for the lack of a better term, a bit beat up. Uh, I, I described it as it looked as though someone tried really hard to try and make Ash fit in the One Piece universe, and it did not turn out well at all. It really didn't. Maybe they'll clean it up in the Blu-ray. Maybe. Maybe they will. Maybe it'll look good for Cartoon Network when when it airs uh, on Cartoon Network in the next three years. But be that as it may, this incarnation of Ash Ketchum may not be as much of a loser as everyone remembers. Because Serena liked him, and that made the shippers happy. And I always like to see the shippers get, like the ultimate success story it made me happy that that the the actual creators of the show uh, recognized this and were actually building towards a a moment that fans were hoping for and then they got it so uh, i'm happy for the shippers i i'm i'm cheering them on because they got what they wanted they got their ship confirmed as canon mhm Uh, next thing coming to us from, let's see. Next thing is, well, normally this is the part of the show where Jack, my normal co-host, would talk about things he's found for the PlayStation Vita. Jack, uh, for the listeners at home, is part of what I like to call the Council of Twelve, uh, i.e. owners of the PlayStation Vita. Uh, the oh, Council I was just going to ask, because who even has a Vita? Jack, Jack is one of them. Uh, Jack is one of them, uh, and he's very, very good at finding very cool games for the Vita. Uh, some of them even have PS4 crossover, which catches my attention. Uh, most recently, like the Steins Gate visual novel. 
uh, and uh, a few other things like the, the game with the monster that had one trillion HP and it was just called trillion. So Jack, when you come back for the next episode, uh, I, I look forward to finding whatever Vita games you want to try out and keep representing the Council of Twelve. But since Jack isn't here, I'm going to talk a little bit about fighting games. Just for a minute, you guys. Just for a minute. Because there is something with fighting games, uh, most specifically my personal favorite, Tekken, that I like to see that the folks at Tekken, they're learning from the mistakes that have happened with Capcom and Street Fighter V. Uh, Lauren, uh, are you familiar with any of this, of what's happening with Namco and Street Fighter V? Nope. Let me know. Um, Street Fighter V has not sold well at all. Not at all. Uh, they released the game pretty much unfinished. It was essentially the online mode, and the local mode, and not much else. Uh, and the DLC, the paid DLC, was the story mode, and the practice mode, and everything else. They really only released it as a new game for the tournament scene, and it has not sold well at all. It is yet another thing that Capcom got horribly, horribly wrong. Now, in the case of Bandai Namco, uh, Tekken 7 is coming out next year, uh, spring of next year. And there was something that, uh, two things. One, fans for a while were complaining about how long it was taking for Tekken 7 to be released. And Katsuhiro Harada, uh, the director of Tekken, has pointed out that one, they're bringing an entirely new character, uh, Akuma from Street Fighter, into Tekken. So that just opens a whole new dimension because Street Fighter is a completely different game. Uh, and two, they're doing a very in-depth story mode. And this is something that the fighting game fans, like the diehards, and the tournament scene often forgets. So it looks as though... Tekken and Bandai Namco are taking a very clear lesson from everything that went wrong with Street Fighter and Arc Systems with their games, Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear, uh, and one, listening to the audience, and two, taking their time. A and Lauren, uh, th this can cross over to any kind of game, really. There is the whole deadline idea of releasing a game on a certain date and then having day one DLC or DLC a few months later. And consumers usually don't love those kinds of things. But in the case of Tekken, they're working really hard to do a complete release. And as a fan and as someone who likes video games... Uh, I appreciate that. How about you? Hmm. This was just making me think of um, when John and I were in Japan this year, uh, we picked up a, a Japanese version of a game that did not make it to the U.S. because it sold badly. Um, it just wasn't going to. It didn't. It didn't even sell well in Japan. Um, it was called um, Dead or Alive Extreme Fortune. Have you heard of that? Oh, Dead or Alive. It's fantastic. Um, you have like eight girlfriends and uh, you watch them play volleyball or you help them play volleyball. You give them presents and uh, put different bikinis on them. And uh, they also do Keijo. Too. They that do, the, they do the, the thing in Keijo. Oh, Keijo. Uh. Yeah, but there's like, I don't know. There was like this big thing like, oh, the feminists got this game banned from America. So it didn't come yeah. over, but... I mean, I played the game, and I'm like, they didn't even, like, animate sand in a volleyball game. Of course this game did badly. Well, <laughs> I, I imagine. But, and that's also the thing. Like, even if Tekken doesn't come here, is it coming here? Oh, that Tekken oh game? absolutely. It, oh, it's, okay. It's, it's right up there with the Street Fighters and the Mortal Kombats of the world. It's, it's up there. Okay. I thought you were saying it did badly, but... 
I mean, the good no, news no, is... No, no, it's, it's Street Fighter Five that did badly. Okay, well, even if... Even games that do badly and they don't come to America, you can always get, like, the Hong Kong version, and that's usually in English. And the, the English is often very entertaining in those. <laughs> yeah. Very, but, uh, dead or alive. Oh, God. Um, it's, it's a fine game. Sure it is. Sh- sure it is. It, it's quality. No, it's not it's, quality. It's it's a game, all right. It most certainly is. It's it's definitely a game that exists that people played. Mm-hmm. But since you brought it up, uh, there was a particular piece on AnimeFeminist.com written by one Lauren Orsini. Uh, on See, that's me. La- yeah, it is. Um, on our last anime podcast of some sort, uh, Jack and I discussed. Keijo. And neither one of us had the most favorable opinion of it. Uh, oh. but then I, I, I read your piece, uh, how fan service can attract or repel an audience and how to tell the difference. And I, I would honestly love, uh, I, I was hoping Jack would be on, but not in this case. So I think I will speak for both of us. Neither of us exactly had the most favorable opinion of Keijo. Uh, I, I guess you could say that we were repelled. We were part of the audience that was repelled. Oh, what, uh, what about and, it repelled you? Um, in short, all of the things that people are attracted to about it. The butts? Yeah, kinda, kinda. Uh, you probably could tell by my, my cringe over dead or alive that, you know, it's, it's not, not for everyone. Fan service. No. Um, it can be embarrassing. I I don't know. Um, and in the case of fan service, and I'm this is probably going to be the first anime podcast I've actually ever done where we talk about fan service uh, mm-hmm. in in at length. Uh, I I would say that it's something that I always find is very hard to. It's hard to justify, for, in in my opinion, sometimes. Uh, of course, in in anime, fan service can, and for, forgive the choice of words here, can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And you got and that that's right. Okay, and that's okay. However, as someone who is who sees fan service and is often taken aback by it. I usually just turn a blind eye in most cases. And I, I read your piece and, and I would love your, your take on that because I, I'm saying 99 times out of a hundred when I see a, a dead or alive or what's happening with Keijo and all of the buzz surrounding it, I'm, what's the word? I'm troubled. That's the word I will use. I'm troubled. So, so I hmm. want to hear the other side. Okay. For anyone who hasn't read my article, which is probably a lot of people, um, basically I talked about how um, I like fan service when it's in a certain context. I don't like fan service when um, I'm watching a serious show where serious things are happening and I'm supposed to take the characters seriously and suddenly I see their panties. I think that's kind of off-putting and takes me out of this world that they've built. However, um, I do like fan service when it's in a show where I am watching it um, intentionally because I know that there's going to be fan service. Like maybe the opening song or um, the advertising for the show. Basically, it just like signaled that there's going to be fan service. It's going to be over the top and sexy and funny. And then I'm I'm totally on board. So um, what I like about Keijo is that it, it, it owns exactly what it's about and it takes that to the limit. It it's as as a result, it's a very um, funny, over the top show. It it seems to know why we're there, and um, to give us more of that. It, it's not coy about you know butts no. and boobs and no, stuff like not. that. It's really it, it is not. the opposite of coy, perhaps. And 
I really like that. If I had come to the show and then it was just very subtle, I would have been put off by that as well. Now, you mentioned uh, in your piece uh, a show that I actually really enjoyed from 2015, God Eater. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, So, and... The things that you mentioned with certain characters, uh, suddenly having their, their business all up in the camera's face. Uh, I totally understood where you were coming from on that. And when we talked about it on It's in Season last year, that was something that I brought up. I absolutely brought that up because as some people out there might know, I'm kind of a prude just in all forms of that's okay. I'm what should be good about anime is there should be anime for everyone. And I mean, don't feel bad about it. And the thing about Keijo is you used the word koi. Uh, Jack and I used the word irredeemable. <laughs> well, I said we it was not koi. Not koi, yes. And, and Jack and I said it was irredeemable. So that that was mm-hmm. that that was our take. Yeah. I I With- certainly don't disparage anyone for enjoying it for what it is and knowing it knowing what it is. I I just I it is in no way a show for me. It really isn't. And I think what really caught me off guard was how it blew up the way it did. That really caught me off guard. Really? I mean, anime's always been kind of thirsty. Sometimes, you know, we're exposed to so much fan service, we don't even notice it. Like, I have a friend who um, was a, a um, pretty, a fairly competitive figure skater for a while. So I'm like, oh my god, I should show her the first episode of Yuri on Ice, even though she doesn't really watch anime. So I show it to her, and she's like, wow, that's some guy butts. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, there's butts in this. Oops. Um... I mean, I mean, I, I just kind of take it for granted that I'm going to see like butts or boobs or, or like all kinds of things when I'm, when I'm watching anime. And actually that kind of (laughs) sucks. I don't want every anime to be like that. I don't want anime to be like, oh, well, this is probably boring. So let's put some skin in here just in case none of this other stuff catches your interest. I mean, I think fan service should be used more selectively. I so that people agree. like yeah people like you who don't want all that business everywhere especially when you're trying to take a character seriously can like look at look at advertisements for shows and be like oh well this won't have fan service but it seems like fan service is in everything whether it's appropriate or not like with God Eater it just bothered me that we would that Major Anamia is a very serious character she's a commander in you know their pseudo army but we'll just see a close-up of her boobs it'll just be talking boobs because like instead of seeing instead of showing her face we see her cleavage and i really disliked that i really really did yeah and it's not that i don't like boobs as it i mean it's just weird it's just like wait what's happening i mean with um what's her name the russian girl what is the russian girl's name in god eater Mm, I, I know the girl you're talking about. Yeah, she has white hair. Um, she's like a yes. main character, but their names are kind of complicated. Um, so we see her in the bathtub being very scared and thinking of a very traumatic incident from her past. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, nudity can indicate that someone is um, vulnerable. But with with the major, it just felt totally pointless. And... I think that's where my gripes with a lot of fan service heavy anime is, is when I see something like that, I will often say most of the time fan service is kind of pointless in my opinion. And then if there is a show that really turns that up to 11, I'm going to say maybe your whole show's kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where that's yeah, where the word irredeemable came to, from. Maybe you're using it to hide that you don't have much of a story. I don't think that's the case with Keijo, but you were free to disagree. 
Um, I I would say that it has a hook. It, it definitely has a hook, and there's probably more of a story that I'm giving it credit for. I'll say that much, but there there would be a lot more to wade through than I would feel like is worth. Mm-hmm. And just personally, a lot of my really favorite anime, uh, for example, Kino's Journey. Uh, mm-hmm. Kino's Journey is about a teenage girl that dresses and acts relatively asexually. And mm-hmm. for, for me, that anime, uh, it was only 12 episodes, but it was almost perfect. And there's really no fan service in it at all. So... Again, this is coming from my own perspective of of someone who sees fan service and uh, TNA in anime as usually almost always gratuitous and making up for a lack of depth. So it's it's very difficult for me to give a show like Keijo a chance uh, or, or more of a chance than I gave this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it... it- Fan service can can um, encourage you to take a show less seriously, and I'm not I'm not expecting to take a show like Keijo seriously. No, yeah, no. I, it's I just, funny. Right, right. It's the, just the clouds are shaped like butts. The main character but, is the chosen butt. Their butts and, move faster than than um, Ichigo's bankai in Bleach. Now. The way I would say that sentence would be, the clouds are shaped like butts. And then I would say, are you kidding me? And that's that's my take on it. Just, I know that it is meant to be over the top, but I'm just, that is something that repels me. Even if it is done with a wink and a nod, it's just, it's just not, it's just not funny to me at all. It really isn't. Well, that's fine. We're, we, and, and that, you know, and that's when okay. I was, yeah, when I was directing this for Anime Feminist, um, I had the founder of Anime Feminist, um, edit it, and she was really happy to have this this um, essay on the site because she really she doesn't enjoy um, fan service in in many contexts the way I do. And I'm just so glad that this site is letting us have so many different viewpoints. That was exactly what I was hoping Anime Feminist would do. I didn't want it to be like the no fun party as social activism sometimes is. Because anime is funny and weird and interesting. And I was hoping that our feminism could be too. Hopefully. Maybe that's why anime feminist is needed. So... Because anime is crazy. That's well, you should definitely we read Anime Feminist because there are reviews that tell you if there really is tons of fan service and stuff without you having and, and to And wh- what website is that again, Lauren? AnimeFeminist.com. That's AnimeFeminist.com, everybody. Check that out. And oh, uh, you guys out. have a pa- – there's a Patreon too there, right? Yeah, I was the first Patreon person and now I write there, so. Nice. Nice. So I'm paying well, myself. Whatever it takes to, to get the brand out there, right? Whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more story that I think we can agree on, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Let's talk Gundam. Ah, uh, Gundam. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a piece on Anon about the strongest and strangest New types. Uh, and this caused quite a bit of conversation. And, uh, not long after that, there was a poll. Uh, and it was a poll about which new type, which Gundam new type is people's favorite. Uh, and, and it was the, the usual suspects. Uh, but there was a particular person in second place. Uh, the first being Shar Asnable, of course. Of course. Uh, but in- but in second place, Kira Yamato. Yeah. Kira from Gundam Seed. Jesus Kira. Gundam Jesus. Kira 
Gun Gundam Diplomacy Yamato. Uh, I mean, this... Okay, there's a lot of reasons this bothers me, but the main reason is people gave me so much crap for putting Kira on my list of top new types. Because, as you know, new types don't exist in the Seed universe. They never use the word new type. Instead, they have people who have the Seed Factor, which means they are literally new types. Literally. It's the same thing. So I said, okay, well, Kira Yamato is a new type in the seed universe, even if we call him a guy with the seed factor. But whatever. People gave me so much crap. They're like, Kira's not a new type. But you know, the new type type concept was something that had been stretched and kind of maneuvered in just about every Gundam series to a point. If 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 the if the dolphin can be a new type, then obviously Kira can be a new type. Yeah, uh, I would even go so. Yeah, a dolphin. How much? You said there was a lot of conversation. I mean, I don't read the comments because I always feel obligated to like defend myself. So I just am like, I'm not going to even look. Was there um, a lot it, of conversation? Uh, for the poll. Yes, um, it, it was it was definitely something to behold. I'll say that much. To but behold, r- really, I I think that as long as Shar and Amaro are somewhere in there, and sure, we'll we'll give you the dolphin too. I, I'm not going to stress about this too much. I and and I wouldn't personally. Uh but. Kira Yamato, he was kind of the the John Cena of Gundam Seed, for the lack of a better term. Uh, he, Perfect. He always f- found a way to come back. He came back in Seed Destiny, which we're not going to talk about. No, and we are not. He, here's a couple of things that I want to throw at you, Lauren. Um, let's talk about Gundam 00 for a second. Uh, and use, like I said, with new type, the concept, it can kind of be played around with. Would you say Setsuna F. Seye would qualify as a new type? Absolutely. I feel like Gundam OO is a retelling of Gundam Wing. Not necessarily a better version of Gundam Wing, just a retelling. You just broke my heart. I, uh,. I, I, what I said in my um, panel at Otakon about Gundam Double Zero, I'm going to just call it something different every time. Um, I, I called it Gundam 2.0 to just piss people off at one point. But, um, <laughs> but you know, Gundam 2.0 was the story of several Gundam pilots helpfully illustrating that war is bad by annihilating both sides of a conflict. <laughs> see? See, look how bad this is. And the the reason I'm heartbroken right now, Lauren, is because uh-huh. I would always, at any Gundam panel I would participate in or help with, I would always say to people, Gundam 00 is Gundam Wing, but better. That's all I would say. Uh, I mean, well, the thing is, I mean, Gundam Wing was my first Gundam, and I have- Oh, mine too. Mine too. Mine too. I mean, I watched, like, one episode recently, I'm like, wow, this is bad now, but- I I mean, it still has a place in my heart, the the way that Double O doesn't, because I watched it when I was in college. I just don't have the same nostalgia there. I get the nostalgia, but at the same time, I think Gundam 00 really got me at the right time, whether it, and it was, whether it was the characters or the story or not even so much the mobile suits, but the Ptolemyos, the airship, everything about Gundam 00, it was, it, it hit me in all of the right places. And I absolutely, always saw the obvious allusions to wing but to me it was just it was just done better because gundam wing has not aged well everybody 
Gundam Wing has not aged well. It really hasn't. And I defend I it, back- but I can't. Yeah. And I went back to watch Gundam Double O uh, earlier in 2016. Still holds up. Still holds up pretty good. Yeah, it's time for a rewatch here. For I, me. I, I, I always gotta say, stay fresh. I, gotta I stay completely fresh agree. Gundam. Because I I'm always agree. like making these top ten lists about Gundam too. So um definitely like and when something from the most recent Gundam I've watched pretty much always makes its way into these lists. So this is why I need to be like and this is why I need to stay up to date. So you're as excited for the next season of Iron Blooded Orphans as I am. Heck, I'm reviewing it. Watching <laughs> it every week. And where can we find those reviews, Lauren? Why? You can find them on Anime News Network. And I'm watching it on Daisuke because I don't have a choice. <laughs> I don't like Daisuke. Yeah, me either. I don't like them that much either. But at least it's out there for everyone to enjoy and consume and stay away from sites like we totally didn't pirate this.com and worry about things that can get on our computer. That's I, don't I'm pirate glad kids. No. I no. pirated a lot when I was in um in high school and college. Well, not so much in college, but mostly in high school. Like, I would set something to start downloading before I left for school, come home, and, like, the seed went away. And uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it took forever. It was a full-time job to pirate things back then. And uh, But now I have – since then, I have purchased everything I've pirated because I felt bad. And then I – but, wow, some of the stuff I pirated was crap. Like – the gravitation OVA, but I bought it because I felt bad. So don't pirate or later you'll feel guilty when you have expendable income and you will buy crap anime. It, it was just because there was, it was anime and you had to watch it and you just mm-hmm, had to download mm-hmm. it and get it. That's I what it was. Yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, there's thing- no reason to justify piracy. I regret that mm-hmm. I did it, but I did mm-hmm. do it back and- then. And we're in a much better day and age now. And a day and age where we can check out everything Lauren Orsini is doing, uh, thanks to ANN, Forbes.com, AnimeFeminist.com, and OtakuJournalist.com. So, Lauren, uh, tell us everything else you've got going on. Right now? Hmm. I mean, you pretty much covered it. I spend a lot of time tweeting as well. I'm working on a few new features for Anime News Network. I recently um, did the web design for a brand new site called jnovel.club, where you can read light novels in English, like including the light novel that Grimgar is based on, Grimgar uh, of Fantasy and Ash, and Occultic Nine. And weird titles like My Little Sister Can Read Kanji, which is a kind of scathing take uh, on the little sister genre. It's, it imagines, it, it imagines a, a future where people can't read kanji anymore except for this one girl. And she's like, in the past, people wrote about stuff that wasn't about people banging their little sisters. How weird. <laughs> Light novels that, are that, so bizarre. That kind of reminds me of that one show that came out, um, the the world where no humor exists, or whatever it was called. Yes, a boring a world a boring world where dirty jokes are not allowed, or something. Dur- dirty jokes don't exist. And and when I first saw this, it was like, oh, this is perfect for a prude like me. No, it's not. Oh God, this is terrible. <laughs> I can't handle this. <laughs> Yeah, that that is some false advertising. It, it really is. It really is. Uh, but Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on the anime podcast of some sort. Uh, it has been absolutely a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Uh, you guys can follow Lauren on Twitter at Lauren in Space. That's Lauren in Space with only one A on Twitter. Yeah, uh, you guys. But- uh, go ahead, Lauren. Oh, I was just thinking. If you only want to hear me complain about new types, you can follow me at Gunpla One Hundred One, 
which is all my Gundam tweets. And I like your Gundam tweets. I really do. Because there's there's not enough Gundam talk on the Twitters. There there's just never enough. Like, Bring I back crave Gundam. <laughs> I crave it. Thanks everybody for listening to the anime podcast of some sort. Thank you again, Lauren. Uh, if you like the show, subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and wherever else podcasts can be aggregated. Check out DeltaJulietMike.com for all your podcasting goodness. And uh, hey, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>